Our passage today from Matthew 17 verses 1 through 8 is a favorite of mine because in it are a few different messages wrapped into one. Depending on the focus of the person delivering the homily, typically only one will ever be addressed. Of course, the focus of the person who is preaching is largely dependent on the focus of his denomination and is what is considered within any particular denomination of Christianity to be what is the most important thing to put forward or what might be considered a good thing to overlook. Here we are in our passage on the top of Mount Tabor, also called the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus has taken Peter, James, and John. Remember that how people are listed in Scripture passages is important because it indicates their place and their role in ministry that Jesus assigns them. Peter is always listed first when people are mentioned in the New Testament. Peter has been designated the earthly leader of the infant Christian church and therefore considered the first pope. Now, of course, being the pope then meant something radically different than it does now. There were, of course, the apostles and there was a good number of additional disciples, but the church was not as highly structured as it is now. There was no Vatican City for, the Peter, for Peter to reside in, nor did he have the vast amounts of influence that a modern pope has. So he was the first pope, that's without question, he was in charge, but Peter was a missionary and he was working hard to keep the newly created church on mission, spreading the gospel, and therefore having to make decisions for the group and leading them in their efforts. Then we have James. James is listed second. James the Greater, and he's called the Greater because he is the older, and possibly the larger, but being called Greater because he is older is more likely, of the two different men who are followers of Jesus in the various New Testament stories, who are named James. James, James the Greater, is listed second because he is going to be the first apostle martyred when he is beheaded by Herod in the year A.D. 44. John is listed third. John is listed third because he's the youngest, and he will have a unique ministry living longer than the rest. And he will write a version of the gospel and also write the book of Revelation, which in the way they are written are different than the rest of the New Testament books. The gospel according to John and Revelation are more visionary, and they give us a deeper understanding of Jesus as deity, Jesus clearly displayed as God, what some call John's cosmic Christ. Finally, John is listed third because, in connection with his youth, John will be entrusted to Mary, and Mary entrusted to John in a way that is a literal form of physical adoption, but it is also much more. It will be a way of demonstrating Mary's motherhood of the church. Mary gave physical birth to Jesus, and Jesus deemed that all who believe the gospel to be his brothers and his sisters. When we read in Luke chapter 2, and it says that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, we also take time to read in Psalm 89, Romans 8, Colossians 1, Hebrews 12, and Revelation 1, 
that Jesus is the firstborn among the many who are conformed to him by faith. When Mary gave physical birth to Jesus, she gave spiritual birth to all of those believers in Christ, all of those brothers and sisters, all of those sons and daughters who would become the church. She is the mother of Jesus, and through Jesus, the mother of all the spiritual family. That is why he is her firstborn son, the one born physically, and through him, the mother of all born spiritually. Now that we know the people in our gospel passage, let's look at the passage itself. When I was younger, the sermons I heard on this passage emphasized that Peter did not know what he was saying when he, with James and John, saw Jesus with Moses and Elijah. We can see that this explanation makes sense when we read the other gospel accounts of the event because both Mark and Luke emphasize that Peter was overwhelmed by Jesus' glory and did not know what to say when they wrote their copies of the gospel. As a result, being in a church that really didn't emphasize Peter's authority, I heard a lot of messages about how Peter meant well, but was in so in shock by seeing Moses and Elijah with Jesus that he quickly said something without thinking. They were basically saying that Peter was a good guy, but a bit out of his league. And this, based on Mark and Luke, is kind of true. Peter frequently, not just in this occasion, but in others as well, frequently would quickly speak without thinking, and as a result said something that was opposite of what God wanted. But from a Catholic perspective, Peter not doing or saying what God intends or wants is not something that a person wants to emphasize about the man who is known as the first pope. Just like the church does not emphasize the fact that Peter was married and that the Apostle Paul declared that the Pope, bishops, and priests being married is an apostolic rite when he wrote to the church in Corinth saying, Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Peter? But whether one wants to emphasize it or not, these things are true. Peter often said things or did things that did not align well with his being in charge of the newly formed church and of being the first pope. But that should not confound or confuse people. It should comfort people. We do not have to be perfect in our understanding. We do not have to be perfect in our abilities. What we have to do and what we have to be is a people that pours out our hearts into the work that God has for us to do. And that is what Peter did, even while making mistakes along the way. The next way I've heard this passage preached is to emphasize the greatness of Jesus, the fact that Jesus is God through the amazingness of the vision of his brightness. Jesus' face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light, the text tells us. To look upon Jesus in this way would overwhelm your eyes. It would be like looking directly at the sun. 
When you look at the bright daytime sun and then look away, all you get is those dark spots that block out everything else. After seeing Jesus shining like the sun in the sky, when you looked away, just like looking at any super bright light, like looking at the sun in the sky, everything else would be total darkness. For all the world to be darkness in comparison to the amazing brightness of Jesus is how we should see the world. What is attracting your attention? What is that new shiny thing that you want next? Is it a car? A new job? A better wardrobe? Different house? Maybe things to put inside of the house? A certain relationship? The list of things in the world that attract our attention and look good and shiny to us and cause us to have desire, even if there's nothing wrong or sinful about them as things or relationships or anything else, should all look dim and dark compared to the vision of Jesus. St. Dionysus calls this the luminous darkness, when our attention to the world is darkened by the overwhelming brightness of Jesus. Our passage today tells us that we will indeed live in the world, that we will engage all of these other things. After all, it ends by Jesus, Peter, James, and John all going back down the mountain to be with the others. At the same time, though, when we live in the world, we must first look to the brightness of Christ so that the distractions of the world are darkened and kept in perspective and remain second or even less in our priorities of life. Finally, there is a symbolic, a spiritual reading of this text. Jesus is there. Moses is there. Elijah is there. The apostles are there. And the apostles are looking upon all three of the other. And then Peter comments that they should stay right there, as is, and never leave. But if they stayed there unchanged, it would freeze the faith in a status of maintaining the law, maintaining the prophecy, and leaving an undelivered grace. When Peter spoke these words about staying there in that condition, God the Father acted, God the Father intervened, God the Father sent the cloud to temporarily obscure the vision of the apostles. When the cloud cleared and the apostles looked again, there was only Jesus. The voice of God the Father then announced, This is my Son, listen to Him. In other words, this is my Son. He has fulfilled the law. You do not need it anymore. This is my Son. He has fulfilled the prophecies. You do not need them anymore. This is my son. He came to give you grace. You need to pay attention to him and him alone. What should we today do then? Spend a little time on the top of Mount Tabor today. Put all your heart into serving God, even if making mistakes. Stare at the Son of God in all of His brightness so the distractions of the world turn dark and distract you no longer. And know that the Son is grace. Listen to Him and Him alone. Amen.